everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast for this week. We get out our final predictions for Critical Role Season 3. I watched a beloved Halloween classic. I also powerhouse my way through 10 seasons of a show. We talk about half of another show and something else in there. That's right. This week, we talk about Critical Role Season 3 beginning this Thursday. We get my final predictions out in the ether sphere so that when shit happens I can be proven right or wrong. I finally got around to watching Halloween Town, a Disney Channel original movie released in 1998, and we talk about that. Also, if you want to listen to my audio commentary track for Halloween Town, check out patreon.com forward slash going upcast where you can get access to that one, my audio commentary track for Hocus Pocus, and a whole lot more. I also watched all 10 seasons of Robot Chicken. Yep. Not all at once, but over the course of weeks, I, I did that. That was the thing I did. Um, what the fuck was did I talk about in that one? It was something. I can't remember. Um, there's a mystery segment in here. I'm staring at it going like, I can't fucking remember what the hell we talked about. And I also talked about the first half of Young Justice Season 3 and how good I think it is. Uh, which is especially apropos because Season 4, I believe, has already started. Um, oh, it was Legends of the Hidden Temple. That's what it was. I watched the first episode of the new legends of the hidden temple show and uh we talk about it yes um i just want to give you guys a quick heads up there are at least two things in this episode legends of the hidden temple and halloween town which i would not recommend for viewing um and so they're not necessarily the happy-go-lucky positive things you may come to expect from the grown up cast rather it's me getting kind of ranty and grumpy for a little while so just giving you give you a little heads up on that um, because boy howdy do they both suck anyway um, The Hobbit is still the audiobook flavor of the day that will continue into next week um, where at that point surprise surprise the next audiobook will be Fellowship of the Ring the first volume of The Lord of the Rings um, and a quick side note I will also be releasing all of the music for The Hobbit audiobook as a standalone album uh, for free on goingupcast.com um, complete with a couple of bonus songs that do not appear in the audiobook itself, but did appear in the movies. So if you have seen the movies, you probably can guess what songs I've recorded. Um, and I hope you all enjoyed that. Outside of that, things are going good for me. Um, Halloween is right around the corner, which is, um, well, my friends are all happy. So that makes me happy because they love Halloween. Uh, I don't get it, um, quite frankly, but that's a rant for another time. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Going Up Cast. Let's get right on into it. So, ten seasons of robot chicken have now impregnated themselves within my brain. Uh, probably not for, for the best. Um, see... I, what I enjoy about Robot Chicken, especially the early seasons, is the references to material that has long since left the grander cultural zeitgeist of the popular sphere. You know, they're referencing cartoons and franchises from like the 70s and the 80s that just are not a thing anymore. Um, or at least they are not the same as they were back then. Uh, for example, uh intellectual properties such as He-Man, Thundercats, Transformers, G.I. Joe still persists to this day, but they are 
wholly different creations than what they were like back then, with the exception of possibly He-Man, which I think is pretty fucking close to the goddamn original. Um, but it takes those those intellectual properties of folks' childhood and adds, adds that like mature spin. Granted, most of the time it's just like dick jokes and poop jokes and stuff like that. But every now and then there's the, there's an actual really good funny idea or dry humor sketch that I appreciate. I think um, if you're not familiar with the show Robert, Robot Chicken, it is a it's a sketch show uh, involving stop motion animation that each episode's about 11 minutes long. You can watch it now on HBO Max. Um, it's satire on popular media, I think, is its strong point. Um, it has a couple of, like, original characters that make reappearances throughout seasons. Um, and like most shows of this type, the early episodes are stronger than the ones that we experienced in the last, like, five seasons. So basically, I, I enjoyed the first five... Basically, for me, it just kind of... It starts really well, and then it's a slow, gentle descend down to ten. It's basically a, a slope straight down. Um, now that season 10 was bad it just wasn't as good as some of the early stuff and you can if you watch it marathon you'll definitely see them retread on on a couple of um ideas and concepts or scenes in movies to tell different jokes i saw that a lot too uh like et leaving has like four different jokes over the course of the show i don't think that's a bad thing it just uh, you know, things of, of that nature are usually really funny the first time, and then it's just a degrading scale from there on out. Um, but for me, I, what I really loved about it was it made references and callbacks and skits and jokes about things that I am not very familiar with, which is a rarity, to be perfectly honest, um, where I don't know the intellectual property or movie or show or whatever the fuck is being referenced um particularly well especially in something like that you know they reference batman i'm probably gonna fucking get it but if they come at me with like war games which isn't a movie i've seen well then you're on to something and that honestly was pretty exciting uh because it just showed that there's just so much more out there in terms of media that I, I don't know as intimately well as, uh, as some other things. And that's just neat um, that there's there's still more to discover and all that stuff. And some of it apparently was so popular or so impactful on at least the writers of this show in order to make jokes and references about it. So that was basically what I wanted to say about Robot Chicken was that there's enough material there that I wasn't 100% sure where it came from or I'll, I'll know it just by name like they reference harry and the hendersons quite a bit i have a vague idea of what that movie is about i've never actually seen harry and the hendersons so that would be new to me and i think that's exciting that there's a just there's always more out there and for and the show that made me realize that was fucking robot chicken um which i maintain is good um it's it's a nice mindless thing to have on in the background Definitely doesn't take a lot of brain power in order to enjoy robot chicken. I think that's kind of the point. Um, it's just, it's just fucking fun. Um, and honestly, I love the references to old school stuff because the references make me, they remind me of when I was a kid and I would watch old cartoons, primarily on like Boomerang, um, or like Toonami or something like that. 
So that's what it, it reminds me of. It, it makes me nostalgic for that time in, in my life. And so references or jokes based on that um, in the nowadays are just kind of refreshing. It's seeing that, it's getting that nostalgic feel and then appreciating it in a new light because of the setup of the joke or whatever it is. Um, so that's, that's just nice. That's just fun. Um, but now that that is done, I need to find something else to watch and waste my time on. I guess I'll go back to Young Justice and keep watching season three. But I want to talk about Robot Chicken just real quick. Just real quick. It's, it's a fun romp. Move on to the next thing in the podcast. A long, long time ago, when I was a youngster, there was a show on Nickelodeon called Legends of the Hidden Temple. It was a obstacle course slash trivia competition show where they would pit teams of children against some things in order for them to win things like Philips CDI and like trips to Texas. And it was really cool. We all loved it. Olmec was red. You know, the whole like temple itself and you had to run down the, the tunnel steps and through the temple gates to find the golden monkey and all that shit. And then, um, then the show was going to be rebooted on a platform that died. Uh, and then the show was rebooted again on, um, on cable on the CW. You can go watch the remake the legends of the hidden temple. And I'm here to tell you not to do that. It's not good. It's, exceedingly long like the original show was half an hour this is an hour and holy fuck do they pad it out it has almost none of the original whimsy and fun of the original show for one thing it's outside which i don't particularly mind but it removes the studio audience and while that might be because of covid restrictions it's lacking that element, quite quite frankly. Um, it's it's not good, um, and I don't want to get too specific because like the host isn't doing a bad job. I think the they're just told to say the like the like the not really the wrong things. It's just nothing they said was good, and a lot of the like kind of post-event camera work with the teams and some of the stuff they say is also not very good. And you know they're being prompted by, like, a producer or somebody. But whoever's feeding them these lines isn't doing a good job. And it just comes off as really cheesy, but not in a fun way. The contestants themselves are also like a who's who of holy shit. Um, They're just not great either there's just nothing really good about the show it's too long it's boring uh and it's frustrating and that you watch like i know the original temple run was basically stacked against like the kids favor in terms of actually doing well and completing it but it is frustrating to watch them attempt it and how like the way the prizes work and I don't know just everything about it just isn't right um that being said it could be like my memories of the original show have been skewed and so I'm not a hundred percent familiar with how that went down but I don't remember it being this fucking bad quite frankly um so, so that's my thing I think it really it needs to 
tighten up. I feel like if it was a good 30 minutes, you'd be fine. But it's not. They made it an hour-long show when it did not need to be an hour-long show. Um, so I think you cut some of the fat out. You shorten this shit up. Um, and uh, person I was I was watching with my folks, and uh, one of them brought it up. That uh, it's probably an hour long, so they can stuff it full of the ads they need in order to generate the cash prize value for each episode. Which is that's a that's a pretty decent argument. Um, but I I also gotta say, from the perspective of a contestant, there are much easier shows to win money on than than Legends of the Hidden Temple. Like the the list of bullshit things that they have to do, you think would be entertaining to watch, but then it's just not entertaining to watch. Um, it's just really long and it's slow and they're not very good at it because a lot of the things are like kind of weirdly specific skills that if you don't have, you will struggle and kind of fail to get it together. And I don't know, a lot of it seemed contrived. I don't know. It's just, I'm not a fan, not a fan of it. Cannot recommend it. So, so there is that. You know what I can recommend though? And a lot of people got on my case for this being a true statement. But I recently watched, for the first time, Hocus Pocus from 1993. And that is a good goddamn movie. In fact, you can listen to my movie commentary track uh, available at patreon.com forward slash goingupcast where we watched Hocus Pocus for the first time. That's a great movie. Um, It was pointed out to me that the movie originally came out in theaters and then later aired on... Disney Channel. My understanding was that it was a straight to Disney Channel movie, um, but it's not. And that explains a lot of the rather adult humor in this movie. This is an incredibly horny movie. Uh, I'm not saying it like will make you horny, but the movie itself is super horny. The, the sheer amount of conversation about this kid's uh, virginity combined with his like almost weird obsession uh, with um oh god what the hell was her name whatever the the fucking main chick it's yeah it's a very horny movie um and Bette Midler's just chewing up all the scenery all three of the uh the actresses that play the or actors that play the witches uh Bette Midler Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy just do a fucking wonderful time and you can tell they had a lot of fun making this movie um and other things like a majority of stuff is practical effects which definitely helps like the longevity of films like this but at the same time the cgi for the fucking cat is actually shockingly good for the time period and the budget that the movie had so honestly there's not much i can do to fault the film itself the plot's a little silly but it's a kid's Halloween movie, and it's pretty fucking good. Also, it is, in my view, it's challenging to make a Halloween movie that isn't scary. You know? Like, that's the natural tendency to have something that's just straight-up fear-inducing. But it is it is a quirky, charming, wonderful film. I don't know why I'm selling it this hard. Pretty much everybody's already seen this movie. I was just, like, one of the last people who hadn't seen it. So, yeah, it's good. It's really good. My next movie that I need to watch from this time period of the shit I've never seen is Halloween Town, which by all accounts is not nearly as good um, as uh, as Hocus Pocus. But you know what? I'm going to go in with an open mind and we'll see what happens. Uh, and speaking of seeing what happens, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. 
Alright, as much fun as Hocus Pocus was, Halloween Town fucking sucks. I was not a fan of that movie. And I know, I know, it's the going up cast, it's things designed to make you happy. But damn it all, it's Halloween, and we're gonna spook it up a little bit by Andrew being grumpy for a little while. And being forced to watch Halloween Town for an hour and 24 minutes, or however long that schlock of a film is. So, number one, the song. Okay, now, the song, out of context, is about two minutes long and is fine. Alright? It's kind of poppy. It's kind of like... You know, and that's fine and whatever. And it it fits the, the fucking tone of the movie to a T. Right? But that son of a bitching song is played in different arrangements at least seven times in the fucking movie. And when the movie is less than an hour and a half long, that is too many times. Alright? Lord of the Rings had multiple different themes that played at different times depending on who the fuck was around, all right? But even the main like, you only heard occasionally over like a fucking four hour movie, all right? This shit was way too often. It's like somebody wrote like one really good song. It was like, yeah, but what if we used it in every scene? So that sucks. Um, Now I know, just a quick side note that I'm tearing into, apparently, I didn't know this, so I, I found out about this. This was the fourth Disney Channel original movie. The first Disney Channel original movie was called Under Wraps, which they just remade like a week ago. So I thought that was interesting. Just a fun fact. Anyway, it's a Disney Channel original movie. I shouldn't expect much. But what I do expect are fundamental good movie techniques. For example, not having your camera so close to their face that parts of their face are missing. The number of times that like somebody had a close up and their chin or the top of their head was just cut off because they were so zoomed in was staggering. It was like this camera only had two settings. Zoomed in all the way the fuck and a wide shot. And their wide shots still were not very wide. It felt like a very claustrophobic movie. The fact that you're two inches away from a character's face at any given time. It was unsettling and not in a fun way. Number two, the camera should be in focus. Okay? That, like, within the first five minutes, there are characters talking, actively talking. And the camera is not focused on them, but will figure it out like halfway through their sentence to switch focus onto that character. It's kind of astounding or characters will speak and the camera isn't on like oh my god it's not made very well and it's not very often that i see these sorts of errors in a movie because i'm not really looking for them and so that should tell you something that the errors in this film were so blatant that they were impossible to ignore and the close-up thing really fucking bothered me and it's one of those once you notice it you can't not notice it Whatever. And then there's plot threads being abandoned higgledy-piggledy all over the fucking place in this movie. If she doesn't learn to be a witch by midnight, she'll lose her powers. And then she goes to another dimension where it's like, yeah, well, time works differently here, so don't even fucking worry about it. Not to mention that she never uses magic in the entire fucking movie. She doesn't. I will fight you. It's Sophie that does the magic in the talisman, not fucking Marnie. Marnie doesn't do any magic the entire time. 
Not to mention, Marnie is the reason why I think, by and large, child acting is atrocious. She was so fucking obnoxious. I've never... Well, no, that's not true. I was about to say, I've never hated a child actor more. Um, that is definitely not true. I tend to hate them, by and large, because they're just not good. Um, which is kind of interesting, because there was decent child acting in the movie. I thought Sophie was a treat. Sophie only talks like six times, but when she did, I didn't mind it. I thought Sophie's child acting was pretty fucking good, which to me says that the director knows how to direct children. It just so happened that Marnie was written like shit and then acted in the most obnoxious manner that they possibly could have. They were so uppity and just complete Oh my god, what a miserable character that was. The brother was fine. I thought Dylan was was a okay. Um a little a little like know-it-all-y, but the but the beauty part is is that he wasn't a know-it-all. He was an idiot. He like listen to some of the things he says. Like he was wrong quite a bit. Like my favorite was when he had like the sparkle shooting out of his fingers and he's like, "Yeah, well, it was probably static electricity or that aurora borealis thing I was reading about." And I'm sitting here going like, that's not how either of those things fucking work, you complete dumbass. So, it's a know-it-all character who actually doesn't know anything, which is a fucking great idea for a character. Like, somebody who's just so full of shit, but they're completely wrong all the time. I thought that was awesome. So, Dylan gets a pass because he's like, yeah, well, uh, you know, the, the Erie Canal was dug out in uh, South America so we could send scary things down to uh, down to the Mayan civilization in an eerie fashion. That's why it's called the Eerie Canal. Just like, everything they say is wrong. I would love that. I think that's, that's phenomenal. The practical effects help this movie a little bit. I feel like if it was bad CGI, it'd be even worse because this movie does have some CGI and it is pretty bad. Um, the, the costumes help, but the problem is, is that the costumes end at the neckline. It is all masks, except for like one or two characters. You'll see it. You see it atrociously in the gym scene, right? When they go to collect the ghost sweat. It's like, everybody's got like these weird fucking ooga booga goblin masks. And then it's just like normal fucking white arms after that. And they're just like, they're just people wearing masks. Which then raises the question, are they actually supposed to be the creatures they represent? Or are they dressing up because it's Halloween? Because the movie doesn't, the movie would imply that they're actually the monsters they say they are. But it's like the budget only mattered for the masks and stuff. And... If you're going to pull that route, you cannot do short sleeve shirts. That's the that's the trade-off. You do masks, gloves, full pants, full long sleeves. That's how you hide that shit. You can't do shorts and flip-flops cuz then they just look like assholes in masks. So, practical effects help, but you got to finish the goddamn job. You can't you can't half-ass it like this fucking movie did. And I think the biggest sin of all, maybe this is something that I'm not getting because I'm apparently a Grinch when it comes to Halloween crap, is that this movie was actually well-received critically. And it got like an 80% of Rotten Tomatoes. Now, I know that doesn't mean anything, right? But whenever I talk to people about like classic Halloween movies that like aren't scary, since I'm a complete wuss when it comes to horror, 
Halloween Town is usually said in the same breath as Hocus Pocus. And these movies are not on the same league at all. Number one, Hocus Pocus was just a Disney movie. It wasn't a Disney Channel movie like I was originally led to believe. It came out like five years before um, Halloween Town did. It didn't debut on the D Disney Channel. It came out in theaters. So that's a good movie all on its own. Completely separate from Disney Channel. And it shows. That's a wonderful, charming movie. I loved it. I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. Halloween Town was fucking TV schlock like I was expecting Hocus Pocus to be. But see, here's what happened. I expected Hocus Pocus to be shit, and it turned out to be wonderful. Then, I compared Halloween Town's potential viewing to Hocus Pocus and expected it to be awesome when it super fucking wasn't. So, that did not do this movie any favors. But, holy shit, does it not deserve to be well-remembered. It was abysmal. Abysmal. It was miserable. I did not have fun time watching this movie because of how shitty the characters were, how insipid the plot was, and how dirty they done did Debbie Reynolds. She was in Singing in the Rain. And she comes in to be the grandma on this shit. And this was apparently so well-received that it spawned three sequels? You fucking kidding me? No, I'm never gonna watch those. Never gonna watch those. Fuck, it couldn't pay me to watch those. I'm probably gonna watch those because I I want to see some really bad Halloween movies. But, oh my god. I just couldn't believe it. How? How? Why? Why? And now I know why Um, I haven't seen it in like 20 plus years. If I ever saw it when I was a kid. Because it's shit. It's complete dog shit. Anyway, if you love Halloween Town, let me know in the comments below uh, what, it, what it is about that movie that just fucking does it for you because I'm legitimately curious. I hate that movie and I never want to talk about it again, but some people still like that movie and I want to know why. Although, I, you know, it, I guess it could just be nostalgia, which absolutely helps. I fucking love the Santa Claus. That's a dumb fucking movie, but I love it because I watched it when I was a kid and... Yeah, I could I could nitpick that movie till the cows come home. But it's a fucking great movie. And so, you know, nostalgia just does that for people. Um So perhaps it's just nostalgia. And I'm now I'm like now that I know that Under Wraps, this new Disney Plus thing, is like a remake of the original Disney Channel movie, I am I'm kinda, kinda interested in seeing it. I wasn't before. Nothing about that movie made me interested in seeing it before, but now I'm kind of interested. So, so who knows? Who knows what my my night will lead? But uh, perhaps uh, perhaps giving that an old uh, an old gander would be a would be a worthwhile endeavor. But who knows? We'll find out. Next thing in the podcast. I know we did this a while ago. But because it's this week, I want to just revisit something um, because I'm incredibly excited about it, and I want to get my my last my last words in on on this before it truly begins. Uh, because this is my last opportunity to make predictions before it's out, and that is Critical Role season three begins this Thursday, October twenty first. Comes out in a couple of days by the time this this airs, and I am incredibly excited. Since we talked about this previously, um, I, I think we've learned some new stuff. Um, but I may be repeating myself, so just you know, bear with me. 
Uh, it takes place in Marquette. Um, there's a new set. They're going to be sitting next to each other. It's going to be pre-recorded, which I'm totally fine with. There, there won't be any fan art uh, aired during the show. Instead, it's only found on the website, which I'm sure if you're an artist is kind of a bummer. Um, and as a viewer, it's a bummer because I always love seeing those things. But, you know, that is what it is. And then, of course, there is always this mysterious threat of, like, throw all your expectations out and expect a lot of surprises. It's going to be a ride. And none of us are really quite sure what the fuck that means. Um, and we still don't. And we won't until until we watch it. Um, my guess is that the first episode is probably going to be, by and large, what all the episodes have been since, you know, the show's begun. Um, my money is on there's going to be some new storytelling elements to tell us about these characters similar to what we saw in season one of critic role if you remember all the way back when this was on geek and sundry the intro to season one of vox machina was not musical it was my name is vexalia my brother vaxeldine and i wandered around the forest and saw a mom brutally murdered by a fucking dragon and then i found a bear cub and like they gave you their backstory while showing like fan art that's what they did in the beginning. And they did it in their character voices and it was fucking sweet. And that didn't happen for Mighty Nine, right? Um, it kind of sort of did with like Critical Role animated recap, which I actually love. And that animated recap and the new animated show is what leads me to think that we might get something in that vein. Because I think that would be incredibly smart. If I could do something like that for like my home games, where my players had like quick little vignettes and backstory videos about who their characters are and how they got to where their story begins. That would save so much fucking time. Um, and I could totally see the investment of something like that to be worth it, not only for the sake of recapping later on, but for the first episode, like a big to-do doing a quick little animated thing like that would make so much fucking sense. Or at the very least, doing something like that to tell us about Marquette, you know? Give us, give us a foundation. Let bring us into the story. And to Mercer's credit, uh, something of that effect has already occurred on the the website, right? On the there was a blog post about Marquette and how he's trying to be culturally respectful of of this nation because it's very, um, uh, as far as we're aware, the the experience we have. Uh, evokes ideas of uh, African cultures and that that nature of, of the world. Um, similar to, I think, like, it's very desert-based, so, like, Morocco wouldn't be too far from understanding where this culture is coming from. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely going to be a different uh, cultural foundation than what Critical Role has been up until this point, um, and I'm sure they will do it as, as best they can. So, Godspeed to them. Um... In, in that front. In terms of characters, I mean, I can just throw out random guesses, right? Like, I think Liam's character is probably going to be a bit of a bummer. I think Sam's character is going to have some pretty intense backstory. I think Ashley's character is probably going to be my favorite, even though Pike was not my favorite, but Yasha sure as fuck was. I think Marisha's character is probably going to be inspired by Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> these are tropes. These are things that have occurred in the previous two seasons. But I also think they are going to subvert all of our expectations simply because that sounds fun and interesting. You know? I think Liam's character might be super happy-go-lucky or an idiot. And that would be counter to his previous two characters. I think Talson's character 
is probably going to have absolutely nothing to do with the grander plot, which would also be counter to his to his stuff. I think Sam is going to play an incredibly simple character that has, but that's the thing, right? Complex characters are much more interesting and relatable. They can't just be like one or two traits. Every character in the Mighty Nine, and to a lesser extent, but still similar, in the Vox Machina, was complicated. There were things. Mighty Nine, definitely more so. Vox Machina was... So, like, Vox Machina is the actors twisted a little bit, right? That's always what happens when you make your first D&D character. It's you with a couple of exaggerated things, you know? Because it's a lot easier to roleplay as yourself. Just a little different. Maybe you turn up the charm a little bit. Maybe you turn up your, your assholy nature a little bit. Whatever. Mighty Nine was these was what happens when it's like, all right, I, I'm familiar with D&D. I, I know how to make a character. I'm going to make a fucking character. And, I mean, that's, I think, why a lot of people really glommed onto the Mighty Nine. Because those were complicated, relatable, well-defined characters. Right? with believable backstories and believable motives and you got their point of view even if you didn't agree with it you understood it that is the mark of a good character and they were all like that every character in the mighty nine was well developed and now we are getting into a situation where this party has the experience of two massive campaigns under their belts they know their DM better. They know each other better. They know themselves better. These characters, these new characters, have the potential to be even better than the Mighty Nine simply due to experience. Now, comparisons are going to occur regardless. So here are my legitimate predictions. I think we're going to see subclasses that are pretty new. I think we're going to see some of those... Some, some people are going to leverage subclasses that have been developed within the time frame of the last three years, right? Tasha's Cauldron of Everything has, has come out. Um, not only Mercer's internal stuff, uh, like the Wildmount Guide and all of the stuff it brought to the table. Um, all of those things. The Tal'Dorei Reborn campaign setting coming back and like being revamped. There's a lot of movement in the creative space, not only in terms of Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons and Dragon content, but in terms of what Mercer is doing with Exandria. So I think we're going to see subclasses that may not have been seen before. All right. Outside of that, in terms of main classes, the only class I can think of that has not been touched on is Sorcerer. Because that was Tiberius, and he was an ass, and so we don't talk about him anymore. But somebody being a sorcerer might happen. But I would also see, like, sorcerer just being forever Bolton because of what, like, people will instantly think of Tiberius, and that'll just kind of drag that character down. So, but I would also love a palate cleanser to make sorcerer, like, an appealing class again. But who knows? I want a bard. I would love it. I would love a bard. I don't think we're going to get a bard because Sam set such an unreasonable expectation, but bard is such a fun class. Um, my prediction is we're going to get a bard and we're going to get a druid. After that, it's completely open because those classes are incredibly versatile. So you can definitely be a druid and not be a Keyleth and you can definitely be a bard and not be a Scanlan. That's the beauty of those classes. And I think it'd be awesome to see different interpretations of that. After that, I don't really care. 
Bard and Druid are my favorite classes, so I'd love to see some representation in that space uh, of those those two ideologies. Um, and we'll we'll see. I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw another boat person, saw another sailor, um, because of uh, Marquette's fairly prominent port culture that we have been exposed to at this point um, in the city of Ancarel. So, who knows? Um, in terms of races, I mean, fucking beggars. I mean, you got so many goddamn options at this point. Back in the day, it used to be pretty easy. You're all fairly humanoid. It's like, ooh, you have tusks. Or, ooh, you're really small. Um, now it's like, I've got furry hoof feet because I'm a satyr. Or you're a bird person. Or just whatever the fuck. Like, the options are are pretty open um, on what the fuck that's all going to be about. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, but those are, those are my, my predictions. I think we're going to get some incredibly complicated characters that are going to be described to us through some form of time-saving vignette, whether it's animated, whether it's through fan art, whether it's just the characters, the actors themselves just telling us about their characters. I expect we're going to see something like that, and if we don't see it for the characters, we're going to see it for the setting, um... At the, at the very least is my prediction. Um, I also think we're going to see guest stars voicing NPCs. Um, not necessarily joining the party, but maybe being like villains. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that as well. Especially so-and-so is also the voice of such-and-such -such in the Legend of Vox Machina TV show. Do a little bit of cross-promotion. Would it be a little shitty? Yeah. Um, for, for the sake of promotional reasons. But I would do that if I was them. And I think that'd be d dope as hell. So I'm not going to rag on them too much for, for cross-promoting their own shit. Because um, I would absolutely do that if I was in their shoes. Um, especially because that just sounds fun to sell for everybody. So there you go. Um, outside of that, we know it takes place after the Mighty Nine. Uh, I don't believe it will be too long after the Mighty Nine. Um, because I don't believe the Mighty Nine took place too long after Vox Machina, right? It was like a... It was like two years or something like that. It was like no time at all, um, quite frankly. Um, because I remember my, my... I've got an Exandria campaign right now that's actually set in between um, Vox Machina Mighty 9, and that did not give me a lot of time to, to play with, um, is, is my current memory of that. But I am incredibly excited. I have, like, that afternoon mentally booked off, um, or that evening, rather. Um, I'm going to have... I think I'm going to make a, make some enchiladas or something just to have like a nice dinner. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a, it's going to be an event and I'm very excited. Uh, and what I'm also really excited about is seeing the size of people watching it live on Twitch. The mighty nine finale, I think broke a hundred thousand simultaneous viewers when that shit was airing. Um, and I did watch it live just like how the mighty nine beginning broke a hundred thousand. The Critical Role Vox Machina finale, I think, got to like 113,000 people. Um, so this premiere is probably going to be the biggest one ever, is going to be my guess. Because Critical Role has only gotten more popular since its inception. And there are so many people online going saying this exact thing. I would love to watch Critical Role, but Mighty Nine arc takes too long, and Vox Machina is too big, and the animated show is coming right around the corner, but season three is right there, so I just hop on that fucking train. Yeah, I mean, that's why I keep telling people. Watch the start of season three. Because here's the thing. 
once you get invested, then you're going to make the time to watch the other stuff, which is a, such a daunting prospect um, to go back and watch the Mighty Nine. As much as I love Critical Role, I highly doubt I will ever go back and rewatch it. Clip shows, sure. Best ofs, you got it. The animated show, 110%. I'm never rewatching Vox Machina. It would take too long. It would take too long. It's over a thousand hours of content. Well over a thousand hours. Mighty Nine on its own is over a thousand hours. Like it's, it's absurd. You just, you just can't. You can't do that to yourself. So yes, it would take, it would take far too long. I think I ran the numbers and it takes like something like 46 nonstop, 41. I think it takes 41 and two thirds days of nonstop watching Critical Role in order to see it all. That's absurd. That's, that's way too much. So no, it's, it's impossible. That's why I tell people to wait for the new shit. Because it is unreasonable to ask anybody to perform such a Herculean task. Um, I, I've known people to do it. But it's the sort of people who, like, can listen to podcasts all day, every day, while they're while they're working. Um, and in that case, yeah, it's possible. Um, and if you have that much free time, it's a pretty good use of it, in my opinion. So, there you go. Um, I'm incredibly excited. And uh, I'm also incredibly excited to get that merchandise. I think it's going to be real fucking good. And I'm very happy for it. So, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. And finally, this week, I want to talk about the first half of Young Justice Season 3. I say first half because I'm still actively watching it, but there's there's enough going on in in what I'm witnessing that I thought it would be interesting to talk about. First thing I'm noticing is how much more give the creators and writers and planners of the show have by having this be a, uh, at the time, a DC Universe Online exclusive, now an HBO Max exclusive. They are no longer beholden to such things like censors. Now, that's not to say they're swearing. They're not. Um, nor is there sex, which there isn't. It's implied quite heavily. Um, and indeed, you see the, the before and the aftermath uh, a handful of times at the beginning of Season 3. But you don't see anything more graphic than that. Not that it, you would want to. Uh, I'm mostly talking about violence and blood. Um, the, the show definitely went like, Hey, we don't have to worry about this anymore. Also, we've introduced a character that apparently is immortal, yet can die. They just come back. Um, all the time. So that character gets bodied pretty hard pretty often. Um, and it's never like an upsetting amount of gore. Um, I will say that, uh, when you witness Cyborg get, uh, blown to shit before he gets all roboticized, um, that's pretty fun. Nothing like seeing the beating heart of somebody through an open chest wound, um, as the life slowly leaves their, their carcass. So that's, that was nifty. Um, it wasn't. Um, so that, that was something I wasn't really expecting, but now that I, I've, I've, I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, you don't have to worry about stuff like that anymore, do you? So that's interesting. Um, another thing, this season is funny. Like, there were a couple of jokes in season one, and there were a couple of characters who would like to quip a lot, but I wouldn't classify that season as funny. Like, it was just... 
amazing. It just, like, comedy was never really part of it. And there were a couple of lines where you kind of go, ha, ha. Season two wasn't funny. Season two was pretty dark, um, by and large, and didn't have a lot of lighthearted moments. But there have been a couple of scenarios and a couple of line deliveries that have legitimately made me, like, laugh my ass off. So, it is, it is a breath of fresh air to see how lighthearted this is. Um, especially given the subject matter. You think those two wouldn't go hand in hand, but you really need the levity to get over the fact that it's essentially about child trafficking um, and turning those children into metahumans to then send them into deep space to fight intergalactic wars against their will through mind control and shit like that. Isn't that fun? Isn't that lighthearted? Let's put some jokes in there. Um, yeah, that is that is the primary crux of, of what's going on here. That... And the fact that apparently Lex Luthor becoming the new um, Secretary General of the UN was not a bit and was indeed what happened. Um, and he's basically handcuffed the Justice League so they can't do anything, which eventually leads to a massive um, like dissolving of the Justice League and the formulation of like six or seven different teams. It's kind of absurd how many crime fighting teams there are in the course of season three. There's the remnants of the Justice League. There's the there's the young kid crowd, right? There's Dick's team. There's the Batman team. Like, there's too many teams. There's so many teams. Um, but unlike season two, the show does a pretty decent job of focusing on, uh, on a handful. A very small handful. You see snippets of, of the other teams, like, here, there, and everywhere. But the core show is about one team. Which reminds me of season one quite a bit. Because it's about the formulation of that team and the interpersonal relationships of the team. Sound familiar? That's what I said about season one. That's what made the show good. And wouldn't you know it, they're doing that in season three. And hey, guess what? It's good. It's really good. It's 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 awesome. I thought that having like Dick be... Oh, what is he at this point? early 20s I'm thinking because he was 13 in season 1 then there's the 5 year time jump between seasons 1 and season 2 and now there's a 2 year time jump between seasons 2 and season 3 um so there's that but it's it's kind of amazing to see the growth these characters have gone through since season 1 Superboy is super fucking chill he fixes up bikes he's just zen He's just like fucking figured it out. And the like one of the characters was like, Why are you fixing bikes? And Superboy's like, I need the money. You know, being a crime fighter doesn't pay the bills. And he just legitimately likes doing it. And he's engaged with uh Mission Martian, which is just fucking delightful. And no, I absolutely I absolutely adore this season. I feel like it's it knows its base characters so well and it it took them and put them in scenarios that makes absolute perfect sense to me it like nobody is doing anything in this show that i think is out of character everything makes sense um which shows that they understood their fucking original characters and the archetypes they designed and wrote them like they gave a rat's ass about it so fucking a pluses all around um and what i also enjoy is some some deeper insight into our our villain camp um, we got that a little bit in season one with the light. 
um, and a little tiny bit with season two and like the reach. Um, but with this season, there was an episode wholly dedicated to Vandal Savage and it's called evolution. And it basically gives us kind of his whole deal. 50,000 years in the past when he gains his immortality and how he like apparently single handedly shaped human evolution to bring it to the point where it's at now. And it shows the lengths that Savage will go to achieve his own ends. There was, like, he's not out to destroy humanity. It seems like his purpose is about just steering humanity to the next great level of evolution. And when other things threaten his ends, he goes out and takes care of that shit. He single-handedly defeats Starro the Conqueror. Um, and the fleet is taken out by himself and, like, Darkseid's forces. Um, and I actually, like, Savage jumped up my list of, of loved DC characters because of that episode. Because I never really thought about it before. How cool a fucking character like that could be. Somebody who's been around since the dawn of time and is part of every major civilization and event to occur in human history he was there for it all like he ruled babylon he was genghis khan like all of these things and it's kind of amazing um to have such a character uh and you you just i wouldn't say you sympathize with him but you understand his character a fucking lot more so yeah season three is is excellent um and now that we're at this point where so much of the show exists and in different forms, you can begin to start separating some stuff. It's not really anthology-based because it deals with a lot of the same characters across multiple years. But I would say that the shows are disparate enough that you don't necessarily need to have seen the previous season in order to appreciate it. Maybe to fully appreciate it, to get all of the references and all of the inside jokes and who this character is and why this person is that and all that stuff. A little bit, sure. But if you go in with a basic knowledge of DC Universe characters, like you know who Batman is, you probably know who Nightwing is, you probably know who the Flash is, you're probably going to be fine. Um, that being said, I would still recommend you watch it in order. As much as I dislike season two, it's still pretty good. Um, and there is an unfortunate amount of callbacks to season two that do make it an improved viewing experience for season three, but it is not necessary to appreciate season three, um, is what I will say on that front. And then on another front, I want to thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Going Up cast. I am incredibly excited for Critical Role starting this Thursday. I imagine that will be a very significant part of next week's podcast, so do be aware of that. My goal, don't hold me to this because fucking Christ, I'm terrible at stuff like this. My goal is that we can do recaps of each episode of season three moving forward. Um, if that, like the second I fall behind, it's, it's out the door, but I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to commit to that. Um, Hobbit is the audiobook going on right now. Uh, by the time you all hear this, uh, let me just check real quick. I want to get this right. Um, let's see. By the time you hear this podcast episode, we will only have 
Um, sorry, taking a second. There we go. Uh, about six. Nope, seven. Seven chapters left. So this time next week-ish, uh, Fellowship of the Ring will begin, and the album for all of the songs in The Hobbit will come out sometime next week as well. So get excited for that. I know I am incredibly excited for it. Um, I think that's about it. Also, oh, also uh, real quick, uh, if you want to listen to my uh, audio commentary for either Hocus Pocus, Halloween Town, or any of the other movies that I have done movie commentary tracks for, please check out patreon.com forward slash growing up cast where you can get access to all of those lovely things and listen to me scream about how shitty Halloween Town is for an hour and a half. Thank you all very much for listening. I love and appreciate each and every one of you, and I will see you all next week for another episode. Have a good one, everyone.